Good morning, everybody. You may be seated. Thank you, Hope. Am I on? Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. Uh, welcome to Bedrock. I'm excited to be together this morning. Like uh, Hunter was saying, it's been a sweet weekend. Um, coming together, a lot of prayer in this space. Um, and to, to this morning, it, we're just going to continue to, our aim is to, to make Christ known, to, to worship our King this morning, um, that together every single week our aim is to, to know Him more, to, to worship Him with our lips, to be attentive and, and listen to the Spirit's leading in our hearts, um, and to be obedient. I think it's been, as I've studied this passage, a humbling reminder that, that God's people are gathering all around the world in the name of Jesus, in love for one another, uh, and so we get to be a, a small part of that. Um, and I'm just thankful for the, the time this, this past weekend where uh, just a sense of, of a, a hunger um, and a, a desire and a pleading and an asking for, for God's presence to be known in our city, uh, for, for us to hear uh, what he wants to teach each of us, um, he wants to guide each of us. So it's been something that I, I just want to continue praying uh, for us, but I also think it's helpful if uh, you're serving alongside a brother or sister here in the body or, or whatnot to look at them and say, hey, what God, what's God teaching you? Like, what's, what's he been stirring on your heart? What is it um, that I can pray for you about as, as we've spent this time in prayer and, and, and in the Word? So this morning, we will be continuing in the book of Mark. Uh, Mark is the fourth gospel in um, the New Testament, in God's Word, it, it's, uh, if you could just go about halfway, a little over halfway, uh, and Mark is right after Matthew, the, so the second gospel, I'm sorry. Um, and we're going to be in Mark chapter 12. Uh, and if, if you're listening online or um, you don't have a copy of God's Word and you're here today, please take this home with you. We'd love for you to have a copy. Uh, as we read through passages, when I say Mark chapter 12, um, you can look at the big, bold numbers, and that's the chapter. Uh, and then there's verses that are following that in, in smaller print. So take a copy of God's Word. Uh, we are in the story of, of Jesus, and he's entered Jerusalem. And in chapter 12, he enters the city of Jerusalem finally. We've, it's been building up to this point. And he enters the city with, with triumph, with uh, with voices proclaiming Hosanna, proclaiming the king. But, but at this point in the story, we're far from that. At this point in the story where it started out in this chapter, uh, praise to God, now we have questioning. Now, now Jesus is, in a way, on, on trial. He's being attacked. And, and specifically, as Drew spake, spoke last week, uh, his authority is being questioned. And Jesus has just turned over the tables in the temple. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God, and, and they are really looking at him and, and saying, who do you think you are? What is this authority that, that you speak with? And so by the end, we're going to see that, that Jesus continues um, to usher in the kingdom of heaven, and the Pharisees and the religious leaders and much of the city only continue to reject him as king. What a dangerous place to be. 
The testing comes specifically from this, this group of religious leaders called the Sanhedrin. As Jesus stormed the holy temple of God Almighty, turned over the tables, he's calling for their waywardness uh, to return to a true worship of God. As he does this, the religious leaders from even chapter 3, from, from the beginning of the story, they've been setting out to destroy him. And it's the Pharisees, it's the Sadducees, it's the scribes. And, and as we enter this, the rest of this, of this chapter 12, what we're going to see, starting with today's message, is, is we're hitting a series of, of questioning of specific ways that these religious leaders are trying to trap Jesus. So starting with the passage today, uh, but they're going to talk about taxation. They're going to talk about, uh, they're going to question Jesus about the resurrection. They're going to question Jesus about his like in, interpretation of scripture, trying to, to finally get him in a, in a position that um, he's trapped, killed, people don't re- respond to him. So let me read today's passage. We're just in five verses, Mark chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. God's word says, And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one, and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Um, Let me pray. God, we we come in this morning uh, with uh, varying varying places of belief, um, varying experiences of, of our week, of the days leading up to, to this morning. But as we, um, this whole morning, just, we just ask that you would help us to, to truly worship you this morning. You would help us to have our hearts open to your word, or that I, it wouldn't be my, my voice or my thoughts, but it would be, Lord, us really listening. What does your spirit have to say through, through this passage, through this scene, this real moment in history of Jesus? Stepping towards the cross, God, uh, tune our hearts into what you would have as we, we consider this teaching this morning. In your name, amen. I got the chance for the first time this week to serve in my three-year-old's preschool. We have, uh, it's a co-op, so we have certain days in the, in the year that we have to go in and, and help out. And so, um, ironically, Maggie wasn't there, so she's out of town, so my first day in there was without my kids. But... Um, we, you know, I did my whole morning, uh, hung out with the kids, played, and then we end on the playground. Uh, kids are teaching me some games or whatnot, and the parents are picking up their children. And one of the parents comes up, uh, and, and we say hey or whatever, and then, and then she walks towards me. She says, I'm sorry to clipboard you like this, but I told my friend that I would do it. She pulls out this clipboard, and she's like, uh, by any chance, are you in the 5th uh, Congressional District of, of Philly and registered to vote? I was like, I'm just playing on the playground. Kind of like just a surprising question. Um, By the way, does anybody know what district we're in? 
Anybody? Anybody? Ask questions. Uh, I said, oh, I think I'm in three, because I had just been in a, a meeting, but we are in District 2. So <laughs> District 2, so I was like, I'm sorry, I can't fill it out. But uh, she, was, she had a friend who was running for, uh, for, for a position, and he had to get so many votes to, to be a candidate. Uh, long story short. But uh, it, it just reminded me, she, so she, she's, she's campaigning, it was awesome, but it just reminded that like politics or government is very much a part of our life. Right? It's, uh, it shouldn't surprise me that, that you know, someone was running for office, and, and this is just a regular part of, of our living. And that hasn't changed you know, from, from this moment here in Scripture. And, and what we keep learning in the, in the uh, book of Mark is that our discipleship to Jesus involves all of our life. So it makes sense as we read through these stories. Like we shouldn't be like, oh, what? this seems kind of random. Uh, but we're going to see that it, it actually falls right in along with, with what Jesus has been teaching this whole like, journey so far together. Uh, if, you're, if you've not been with us, we've been through the book of Mark for over a year, taking scene by scene. Um, and what we've seen is that our marriages, like our money, our possessions, our priorities, and yes, even our politics, all can be seen through the lens of, of our following of Jesus. Um, and I love that the Bible doesn't avoid topics like this, that the Word of God and the story of Israel is all set in real history. Um, and so let's, let's consider what this moment was like and what, what we can learn from it. The political temperature was, was very tense here in this moment. It's a, so if, if we remember, as Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem, um, it wasn't just Jesus entering the city of Jerusalem. It was crowds. This was Passover week. This was a week where where the, the, the families and the people of Israel would all return to Jerusalem to sit around the table, to celebrate, to eat, to uh, worship God, to, to enter the temple. They would all come. And so it was crowded streets. And it, what we also have to know is that the children of Israel, uh, the, the people of Jerusalem, are over, uh, the, they're under the rule of Rome. And so while they're in their, their home, um, they're under the rule of a foreign nation, of Rome, and, and there's this tension between the Roman leaders and, and Israel, and it feels like in, at any moment there could be a revolt, at any moment uh, a celebration of an anticipation of the Messiah, and people would uh, revolt against the, the Roman rulers, and they were very much like keeping an eye on all that was going on. And so while God's people in Jerusalem were paying taxes, to Caesar and living under the rule of a tetrarch, they were longing for a Messiah to return. And they thought that what that meant was that they'd be brought out from under this rule of Rome. What they thought what that would mean was that there'd be a king that would just conquer and bring them back to the days of old. So let's read it again. It says in verse 13, And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? See, a trap was being laid. There's so much in this first verse uh, that, we can, that we can notice. Um, understanding the sensitivity of this is important. Like, we might read this as, like, oh, they wanted to trap him. Like, they wanted to, to catch him off guard, um, get him into something that discredits him. Aha, we got you, Jesus. But these words to trap him, 
you look into the, the Greek and the language that they use, like this was this was like hunting Jesus. Like this was this was ferocious. Like they 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 weren't playing games. It's as if we have in our mind like they are literally just an image for us. They're literally set, setting a trap and hoping that Jesus falls into it. Or like a like a hunter who is is seeking, um, trying to, to get, uh, they, they lay a, a pit with stakes at the bottom of it. They're hoping that the animal falls into it. I mean, I know this is a, a tough, like, image, but it helps us, like, really see, like, they were out to destroy and to kill Jesus. They were setting a trap and hoping that, that he would be destroyed. And, and here's why. The Pharisees and the Herodians even seeing them in one sentence together is incredibly interesting because they were actually enemies. <laughs> the, the Pharisees were, were ones that they despised um, the Romans. They despised Herod and his rule. They, they longed for, um, for the Israelites to be returned to their glory. Uh, and the Herodians were uh, people uh, of, of Israel who actually supported the, the, rules, uh, the rule of Herod, the, the rule of Rome. And so they were very much enemies that found uh, unity in their hatred for Jesus. And so for this verse even to say that they entered into the scene together is uh, pretty powerful. You see, they, the, the religious leaders hated Jesus for his religious agenda, and the Herodians hated Jesus for what they perceived as his political agenda, and he was a threat. Um, and then we see in verse 14, and they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearance, but truly teach the way of God. You guys sense the, the like, flattery in these words? Like, we've been, we've been walking with the, the religious leaders for a while. We know. We know this, this isn't genuine. Like, we know that, that their hearts, while they might say something, their hearts are far from it. It says in Proverbs 26, 28, a lying tongue hates its victims and a flattering mouth works ruin. So again, they're, they're laying a trap. They want to destroy Jesus. And their words here in this moment are so ironic because what they're saying is absolutely true. What they're saying is, Jesus, you, you're here to speak truth. You're faithful to it. You're faithful to, to speaking the words of God, and you don't care. The opinion of, of those in opposition, like you're not swayed by the influence of man. So they speak rightly, but it's truly far from their heart. And so here, the two enemies come together, and, and this trap that they almost set, and you can kind of see them just set it down and kind of like wait. For what happens, here's what's at the center of it. Here's the question, the trap that they lay, that they're just like waiting to see what happens, is the question in which they say, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? I've jokingly, uh, just with friends or whatever, I've like flipped a coin and been like, all right, heads, I win, tails, you lose. 
You know, I hope that they don't catch what I said, but really it's like a lose-lose situation. You're like, there's no way you're winning. If, um, that's kind of the way they thought, saw this question. It's like, we're going to ask this question, and if Jesus supports paying taxes, he loses. If he, if he supports this idea that we should pay taxes, the, the, the ones that really care about the Bible, the ones that really care about following God above all other nations, about no idols, like, they're going to, like, reject this Jesus for, for teaching, like, blasphemy. And they're also like, well, if he goes on the other side of it, and he says, no, don't pay these taxes. Don't pay them. Then he is feeding into this, like, revolt, feeding into this idea, this divide of the people of Israel and the Roman rulers, and surely he'd get put in jail. Like, surely, like, they would... They would kill him. They would put a stop. Like, they were already nervous enough. The tension was already high. So there's, like, no way in their minds that Jesus can escape this trap. It's foolproof. As we've seen over and over again, Jesus is far ahead of them. And his wisdom at the end of this set of verses says they marvel at it. It's almost like in every question coming up, it's like a chess match, and he's just like, checkmate. He's so much wiser, and there was so much more authority. What he says is, bring me, that, bring me a denarius. And you can see, you know, maybe some of them like searching and yeah, a coin. A denarius was, was a day's wage. I mean, it's a lot. A day's wage. And, and they pull out this coin, and Jesus says, let me look at it. Coin. He says, they brought one and he said to them, whose likeness in inscription is this? Uh, there's a screen on the screen. You'll see image of, of the coins in that day. Um, so they take a look and, and they answer Caesar's. You know, I, I picture them cringingly picking it up and, and cringingly answering Jesus' question, which seems so simple. Um, Simple, but let's really notice, circle, highlight those words, likeness. Circle and, and highlight those words, inscription. Whose image does it bear? What does it say? So the front of the coin said, um, in, in their language, it, it had the face of Tiberius Caesar. And on that side, it, he was the Roman emperor from A.D. 14 to 37. And that said, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of divine Augustus. And then on the back of the coin, it said, inscription Pontifus Maximus, which meant high priest. And this side had the image of a Roman goddess of peace. So can you see the, the tension, even in the coin, in the rule of Rome, that was enough. Taxation was enough. But even on the coin in which they had to pay, the taxes, this poll tax, that, 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 and there are so many taxes they'd have to, to pay throughout the year. You know, it, almost like there was a tax for everything. Um, and, and, and as they look at the coin, even that feels like idolatry. To have a face, Caesar on there saying essentially that he's divine. That, they, that the Romans looked at their, their rulers in that way. It was tough. So they're, they're, as we feel, kind of on the edge of their seats, wondering what Jesus 
going to tell them? What's he going to say? See, the image on the coin reflected to whom it belonged and represented. These images and these words mattered to them as they expressed its meaning, its purpose, and who it belonged to. This is the point in which we, we're going to move from context. I know I've laid down a lot of context this morning, a lot of sitting in what it looked like for them. I think it's really important. We're going to kind of move our way now to Jesus' response, the heart of the passage. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. We're going to, we're going to sit in this. I've, I've, I've read a lot on this over the last couple of weeks, and even previous to that, uh, Mark Dever's writing on this has been really helpful for me. He wrote a book about this passage. He's preached sermons on it. Um, but this is where I really think the heart of the passage, what we really should sit on is, um, is this saying. And my point number one, what we can see from this and Jesus' response as he says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, is that as citizens of earth, we are to be good citizens. We are called to that duty of being good citizens. And you can imagine the surprise of the Jews, of the Israelites, as they hear this. They, they hear Jesus say, pay the taxes. Man, I, even reading this myself, I was reading it, I was like, side, like, this side note, I was like, man, if only Jesus just told us we don't have to pay our taxes. Yeah, I, it's, this is like the year where our taxes have increased uh, in a lot of ways. I'm, I'm sitting there like, man, I don't have a way out of these taxes. But I'm sure they're in the same way. But we've got to pay our taxes? You know, it's like they, they're, they're just waiting to see what he said. And, and this passage, I think, is, re, uh, I'll just say this, referencing a lot regarding God and politics, we're going to see it's not the primary thrust. But I do think there's some things, um, as we look at some other passages as well, that, that call us to our duty as, as like um, people who are under authority and governments. Jesus says, pay your taxes. And what he's saying, he's telling them that they can pay their taxes it can be obedient to the government that they're in without the sting of, of submitting themselves like fully over, of worshiping a government in the same way that we would worship God. That this distinction Christ gives here is really helpful, but it's like really right in line with, with God's word. All throughout scripture, we, we see that government and authority is like a deeply human thing. Uh, we all share it. As Drew talked about last week, authority in, in the way that like God intended is helpful, it's right, it's life-giving. It like protects us and it, it, it pushes away the, the, wicked, the wicked ones and uh, brings judgment to those that um, are not safe, protects the righteous, punishes the wicked. And really from the very beginning of God's word from Genesis, we see that God created man in his image and he commanded them to rule and to reign over the earth. Like he set out this idea that we would, we would govern, that to, to fill the earth and to subdue it. So this idea of order and, and governance, it didn't start in the, in the mind of man. It started in the, in, in the design of God, that we would um, rule and reign and, and that the authority that is exercised would reflect, reflect God's character. That good authority protects. The Bible shows us, we're going to read a couple of passages here. I know this is a big, big thought and idea. The Bible shows us that God is sovereign over all nations and governments and that they are made to be good. As we know, though, all governments and, and nations since the fall, uh, since God's design from page one, there's chapter three, we see that sin entered into the world and it corrupted and it, it causes 
um, selfish desires and ambitions. In our current culture, we are sure, we recognize that there is abuse of authority. There's, there's governments and nations that, that aren't completely only seeking the, the, the welfare and, and the health of their people. That government should exist to protect those under its rule, but sadly we see the tragedy of sin. Uh, but still, even in the worst of governments, we can see that like, the, the overall aim is that people are protected. It is a good thing. Um, let's see what, what, like if we look at um, John 19, 10. So in the final days of Jesus, we're going to see here as we lead up to Easter that he comes before this person named Pilate. That he stands before this Roman ruler. And, and Pilate is, is really like Jesus' life is in his hands, like the decision for Jesus to, to be crucified or not. And it says, so Pilate said to him, you'll, you'll not speak to me? You, do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has greater sin. See, Jesus has all authority. And God sovereignly, even in uh, the most difficult of, of governments and, and positions, even in this government that's seeking to kill Jesus and will kill Jesus, like God is still sovereign over it all. It says in Romans 13, it's probably the most like explicit, um, specific passage about government at all in, in all of Scripture. Romans 13, 1 through 7, this is what Paul says. This is after, um, after go, Christ goes to the cross. They're still uh, under Roman rule, persecuted in many ways um, by uh, by the Roman government. It says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and to those that exist uh, have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists, the, the authorities resist what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For authorities resist uh, what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would have you no fear for the one who is in Authority, then do what is good, and you receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath and wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authority are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. I think uh, to kind of sum up what I, what I would say, Dever says this. He says, government is one of a number of enterprises that are not specifically Christian, but they're good and can mediate, mediate the blessings of God's own authority in our life. On the best of days, governments carry out protection uh, for those under them and punish the wrongdoer. And I think we're called clearly in Scripture to pray regularly for our, our um, people that, that rule in, in the government, people that are in, in different positions. I've, I've been challenged to do that more myself. It, it can be so easy just to talk negatively about those that, um, that we might not agree on everything with them, but we're called as God's people to like support and, and pray for, uh, to seek good policies. It says in 1 Timothy 2.2, First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, 
godly and dignified in every way. Um, I think this doesn't mean either that we, we don't care at all about the government. <laughs> I think we, uh, we might be called to, to be part of, um, part of, of uh, a, I, I'm having trouble in my head getting the word, like a candidate or, or in an office, like God might equip some of us to do that. And I think uh, we can seek to, to vote and to um, seek the, the welfare of our city um, so it's, we're called to respect authority, and, and as much as possible, we pay our taxes, we obey the law, we participate and promote freedom, um, and we recognize that no government is perfect, uh, and many are corrupt since the fall, uh, but we're called to normally support it uh, as much as possible. We're going to see in, in my third point that there are times where we're called to follow God, obviously, above all else. And so point number two, just, I just want to move quickly here. As, as citizens of heaven, we have a family that is made up of all nations. Uh, and so in contrasting these two things, this, uh, as they tried to really like um, pin Jesus on, on Caesar or following God, in contrasting these two things, we, we really see um, that, that our following of God isn't tied to the country that we're in isn't tied to um, one nation, but what he's doing is, is much bigger. This is an exciting thought to me, that earthly kingdoms will one day pass away, uh, but, but what God was ushering, what Jesus was ushering in here is an eternal kingdom. What Jesus is ushering in here is God's rule and reign in a way that he's always set out um, to do. And as we learn in the book of Mark, that God's redemption, like his, the gospel, like the good news of Jesus is that um, he's making his, his peace for all people, not just the Jews. So they're moving from this idea that uh, one nation would follow God, but people from all over the world, no matter what government you're under. The legis- uh, Mark Dever says, the legitimacy of a government is not determined by whether or not it supports the worship of one true God or even allows for it. Jesus unhitches following him for being a part of a particular nation. Jesus is not requiring those who follow him to only support states that formerly allied to the one true God like Israel had been. We don't worship government. We worship God, and God's kingdom is not of this world. It's not reliant or dependent on a country or a nation. You see, starting from the beginning of of mankind, God um, has set out for all people of the world to be blessed. If you remember that promise to Abraham, that he said, like, "Through through, through your offspring, like all... People from every nation would be blessed in, in every tongue and every tribe. It says in Romans 7, 9 through 10 that we can look forward to in heaven when we are uh, worshiping God that, that people from, from every nation, every tribe, every tongue will be worshiping the Lamb. So I'm incredibly grateful that our country, um, that America has been founded on, on godly principles, that uh, that when it was established, that that many and many people were were setting out like values that were from God's word. But I'm also just kind of through this passage remembering that Christianity didn't start in America. That like Christianity didn't even start in our Western world. That that the people of Israel, God moved in um, in their nation first, and in God moved from there, from what Jesus is about to do with his life and death and his resurrection to uh, the rest of Jerusalem. 
through Samaria and the surrounding areas, and then these missionary journeys from Paul all over uh, the Mediterranean, throughout the rest of the world, that, that the, the message of Jesus has spread to um, the cor- all corners of the earth. And until Christ's return is fully ushered in his final rule and reign uh, and defeated Satan and sin is no more, followers of Jesus can be found under all sorts of emperors, under all sorts of nations. We think about Joseph, we think about Daniel and God's word, Daniel in, in the nation of Babylon, refusing to bow to any other gods, it, praying three times a day to God and being thrown in, in a lion's den because of his faith. Uh, we think about um, Paul even and, and the disciples who under Roman rule were persecuted. Many of the disciples were, uh, were killed for their faith. Um, but God still reigns. God's um, kingdom still continues. So we're called to, to pray for those in persecution. We have a, an event coming up on April 21st at Redemption City Church, and uh, it's called Secret Church. And it, it's going to be a, a six-hour study in Jonah. But a lot of that whole idea of that time together is to pray for uh, the persecuted church around the world to get our... Um, uh, to, to get us to, to recognize that, that God's moving even in the hardest of places. Uh, I think specifically we'll be praying over Iran during that time. And uh, I can't tell you how many reports I get from people that I know that are working in places that are absolutely opposed to the gospel of Jesus, and, and people are coming to Jesus um, over and over again. And so um, our faith in God's kingdom doesn't depend on any one nation. This is why we care about missions why we care about sending and going and seeing the gospel in Mumbai, India, like we've been talking about, or Nicaragua or anywhere else that God sends us. And truly, um, it's an incredible thought to think that we have more in common with um, brothers and sisters and followers of Jesus in, in Asia or in um, South America or in other parts of the world than we do even with someone that doesn't believe Jesus in our own country, uh, on our own street, that is under our, the same government, because we are, are just tied to and, and unified through the love of Jesus, uh, part of his eternal kingdom. And our hope isn't in some utopian society that we may eventually reach, uh, or uh, a certain candidate that's going to fix all of our problems, our hope. Uh, no matter what the nation looks like, is, is in eternity with, with Christ, is in the gospel. Um, and so, point number three, I want to move, move quickly here, is as citizens of heaven, we give our ultimate obedience and worship to God. They might have thought they'd finally trapped him, but he says something so interesting. He could have stopped there, like pay taxes to Caesar, But what he says is, and to God the things that are God's. This is what I see as the heart here of the passion. What Jesus is looking at them in the coin and the tax conversation is he's saying, I see see another coin. I see another, another coin with an image on it that has been stamped from from the very, very beginning. That all of, of humanity, that every person is, is created in the image of 
God Almighty. That before ever uh, nations were existed, before any emperor ever existed, before any, any country was established, that God from the beginning created the world and he created mankind specifically and he stamped them with, with, his, with his image, with his reflection. What a unique, unique thing that God allows us to represent him with all of the creativity and the beauty and uh, the mind that he fills mankind with. It reflects our God. What this means is that every person is, is so unique and precious and beautiful. It says in Genesis 1.27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and family, he created them. You haven't heard this before. I, I, just, I want you to know that like our perspective on, on every person, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, is that you are, are like specially made. You're, you're beautiful in God's eyes, and, and you're made with a purpose to love and to know God Almighty. Gospel allows us to realize that we were made to worship and represent God, just like that coin pointed people to know Caesar. See, living out this truth, give God our everything, is so much more important than politics. What Jesus was really getting at and pushing back was, was their question to get to this idea of the kingdom of God that outlasts and receives more priority. We acknowledge that Christians should be good citizens, and God uses authority and governments towards his will, and we, and we can understand that. But we need to understand that the final authority is, is God's, that all governments and all people will give accountability to God his judgment. God is God, and Caesar is not. Caesar has this earthly kingdom, but God is supreme over all things. So governments that do abuse their power will face final judgment with God, and we aim to be good citizens and respect our government. But there are times where we have to choose our obedience to God over man. There are times and moments that we need to seek counsel and prayer and wisdom and use caution. But consider if the government is opposed to things that are the will of God or they're calling us to, to, to live out something that is in opposition to God, that we're called to obey God first. Think about, as I said, Daniel and... Um, the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were told to bow before false images and they found themselves in a fiery furnace and God delivers them. Uh, go and check out Acts chapter 5. I don't have time to, to sit in that this morning, but it, it, they are forced as well to, to make a decision to, to either proclaim the truths of God or they tell them to, to shut up essentially and they, they end up telling the, the rulers of, of their nation, we must obey God rather than men. Like we must render to God what is His. Are we ready to prioritize God above everything else? See, governments will pass away, but the name of Jesus will not. And what is it that we give God? Like what is, so, so if taxes are what we give Caesar, what is it that we give God? God's calling for is, in this whole chapter we've been in, is our true worship are everything, that we surrender 
to his loving ways. What this looks like is our what this looks like is our our time, our work, our play, our devotion. What Jesus is about to say in, in, in verse 30 is you, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. See, Jesus came to do far more than lead a revolt against Rome. He came to, to lead a revolt against the, the chain and, and the, the weight of sin in our hearts to set us free from separation from God and, and bring us into his presence. Make us children of God, to make us citizens of the kingdom of heaven, to forgive us. 1 Peter 2, 9-17 was another beautiful passage as well to, to read when he had time, but, but God calls us uh, a royal priesthood, calls us a chosen race, a holy nation. People are made up of the family of God from all over. He says, be subject to the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor, a supreme, or the governors, sent by punish who evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the empire. As we close, um, I love how that passage kind of brings all of these thoughts together. We're, we're called, first of all, to be um, part of God's kingdom, to, to worship him. And I don't know what, uh, what the Holy Spirit might be leading you to surrender to him today as, as we follow Jesus, as we consider, am I fully giving him my everything? Every uh, moment in my job, every... Um, Thing that I have is his. Are we praying that we are just living out our worship, not just on a Sunday morning, but, but using everything that he gives us, our, our skills and our gifts and our passions, to his glory with joy? Or, um, or is there something we're holding back? We're called to uh, receive this King Jesus if we've never stepped forward and realized that like, we're made in God's image, that he's stamped us for his purposes, that he forgives us of the sin that we have, that we have committed, and, and all of us have, that this king is, is stepping forward as we are moving towards the passion of Jesus. This king is stepping forward to give his life, to, to die on a cross in a just horrific way, because he's taking our place. The judgment that we deserve for all the sin that we, and the rebellion that we have against God Almighty, that Jesus is taking our place, what we deserve on the cross, so that we can be forgiven. And that life that he gives, he, he rises from the dead three days later. We're going to celebrate that in several weeks. And he rises from the dead so that, that he will return. And for all that, just, that place their faith in Jesus, acknowledge that we are far from him, and confess him as Lord, ask for his forgiveness, that it's a free gift to us to, to then be his, to be in relationship with us, that he would see us as right standing before God. We get to be part of this heavenly kingdom. So today we're going to transition as God speaks to your heart and, and whatever 
way through this passage this morning, we're going to transition to a time of, of communion. I think it's an interesting way to end our time this morning um, because we're talking about this colliding of, of kingdoms that we, we all experience in this room. The, the earthly kingdom that we, this earthly life that we walk, whatever government that we're under. But then at the same time, we're journeying in our faith um, as we follow and, and, and Christ has called us, we're journeying in our faith and we look forward to the day that, that all sin is wiped away, that, uh, that, that Christ rules and reigns over all and, and that we are with him. He's returning. I hope you, if you want to come up as well, um, just play as we enter this time. I just want to encourage us to, as we enter into communion, to, to just reflect. This is a time where it does get... Uh, we have some, some quiet and silence, but that's okay. This is a time where we are going to reflect on the body of Christ, like I said, being on the cross in our place. And the, the juice here represents the blood of Christ that was shed, that washes away our sin. And it's a time where we get to, to remember that we are um, not just of this earth, but God is calling us to, to be with Him forever. That we get to celebrate that, that one day there's a table that we will enjoy with him in, and when he returns, that all the people of God will, will feast with Jesus at another table. And so we look forward to that day. This is a time for those that are followers of Jesus to participate. Um, if you're not a follower of Jesus, we, we love that you're here. And what we'll say is that this is just a public demonstration of a reminder of what God has done for us. And the first thing I would call you to today is consider, am I, am I a follower of Jesus? And, and if I'm not, like, taking that step or, or talking to someone about what does it look like to place my faith in this king, we'd love to talk to you about that. And for us that, that are followers of Jesus, let me just read 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three to 29. It says, For I received from the Lord what I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he betrayed, took bread. We given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me in the same way also he took the cup. After supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this drink, uh, bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord is an unworthy manner, will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. All it's saying is, is remember. Take time, reflect. Are we living out the joy that it is to be, be in Christ's kingdom, to be his, and what he's done on the cross and through the shedding of his blood? And examine. Before we rush into that, we've got time. Let's examine our hearts. Confess to him areas where we're not believing, where we're doubting, where we're in sin, and then step into uh, taking the bread and the juice in the name of Jesus, and may it be a reminder as we enter into our week. Uh, so we're just going to have a time of reflection, and there's always, uh, there's just gonna, at whatever point you want to come up, whenever you're ready, and we invite you here.